Good morning, Mountain Park. Good to see you again today. I woke up this morning and I said, I get to come to Mountain Park and I'm happy. Anybody else happy? Isn't it great to be here? I, you guys are such a great church and I hope you know that and how much fun it is to be able to be with you in the Lord's presence. How'd you do on that closet question? That was a rough one, wasn't it? How many is like, hey, don't go there? Yeah, that's my closet. How many of you are like, everything's there? It's all perfect. Wow. Sad. You're sad people, but that's, <laughs> that's okay. You know what's kind of like the closet that we're talking about? The book of Revelation. Some of you are going to like, don't go there. Don't even go there. When we look at Revelation, and sometimes it's like, it's, that's a, it's a scary thing. Or, ah, uh, well, maybe, you know, you can kind of go there, but it's, it's, it's better just to avoid it. Or, I don't know that we can ever understand it. I'll, I'll stay in all the other books, but leave me out of there. Some people are like, man, it, it nails everything. Boom, 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 boom. I got it down. You got a question? I got the answer. Those people are really weird, with it, but that, there's some people that are, are like that. I just want you to know this morning, I'm not that guy with Revelation. We're, we're going to look a little bit more in the book of Revelation. Um, we don't have time to dig deep into all of it, but um, we're, we're going to put it into the theme of, of hope. And um, there are people that probably have more answers for this book than, than I do, but you're stuck with me this morning, so... <laughs> That, that's just kind of the way it is. You, you get what you pay for. So, <laughs> But here, here's the spectacles I put on when I go to that book. That basically in that book, a passage cannot mean for us today what it did not mean to the very first readers in the first century. That clears a lot of stuff up. Now, not everybody would agree with me on that, but that's at least where I go first. That There's stuff in there to understand today that I understand more by understanding what the first century readers understood. I think when God had John understand this, he, he wasn't going, this is for Awatuki in 2021, uh, specifically, that's gonna be different for them than anyone else. It's no, this is to the first century church, but it's also for the people in Awatuki in Phoenix in 2021, and until he comes back again, the same truths will be there. So here's a verse of scripture that's not in the book of Revelation, but I think it's so key in our understanding, not only of this passage, but of the whole book. It's the words of Jesus out of John 16, It says, in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. In this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Now, if, if you're going to try to make a, a quick summary statement of the book of Revelation, that's not a bad place to start. That's a pretty good synopsis of that whole book. In this world, tribulation. Today it is, tomorrow it will be. It probably increases and to the point where it's, you know, really, 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 really fierce. But always keep in mind this. Jesus has overcome the world. The victory is ours through him because of what he's done. Now, to that first century reading or first century church that's reading this or listening to the, to the, to the, the reading of the book, they're like, Life's, life should be easier than this. I mean, we're getting thrown in prison. 
We're getting beheaded simply because we believe in Jesus. We're being hung on the cross. We're being burned at the stake. We're thrown into the Colosseum to the lions and the gladiators. I'm not sure I signed up for this. This is supposed to be about love and peace. And here's Jesus, died on the cross, saved us from our sins, resurrected to new life, all this power, resurrection power. I mean, the gospel's spreading out throughout the whole world, and he's up in heaven, and he's next to the hand, the right hand of God, and he's interceding for us, and lots of power. And yet it sure doesn't feel like we're on the victorious side. In fact, it looks like we're getting beat up pretty bad. What in the world is going on. Now, hopefully you don't, <laughs> hopefully you're not quite on that same level in your own life with some of the tribulation, but we all, somewhere along the line, know what it's like to struggle, what, know what it's like to face trouble and tribulation and pain and suffering and loss and death. This last year or two, it's been pretty evident and pretty pretty straight up with us. Annie Dillard is a, as an author, <clears throat> she writes in one of her writings that the greatest theological question of all time is, what in the Sam Hill is going on around here? <laughs> I, think, I think there's some truth to that. See, you came to Jesus and you thought everything was going to be smooth sailing and pleasant until he comes again and takes you off Probably won't even need to die. If you do, it'll be a nice, easy die. You'll die healthy. And tribulation and troubles for people in the future, but not you. You're going to be financially secure. If not, just read the Bible a little bit more. Come to church a little bit more. Tithe and then all, you know, then everything. You're going to be healthy. You're going to be, you're going to have a full head of hair until you're like at least 85. <laughs> you're going to look like a college student even though you're 59 years old. Just because of your faith in Jesus, your boss is going to notice your work ethic and reward you accordingly, always giving you increases in salary and promotions. Your children will love you, and they'll come home from school. Even before they do their homework, they'll just ask you what chores need to be done because we're so grateful to be in this home and provided for, and we love you so much. Wouldn't it be nice? If that were the, the case, Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to be asking, what in the Sam Hill is going on? In fact, Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. He didn't say that, don't worry about tomorrow because there's not that much to worry about. He said, don't worry about tomorrow because today's bad enough as it is. <laughs> there's enough stuff for today. You don't have to worry about tomorrow. And if he was a weather forecaster, if he's a tribulation forecaster, he would say, trouble today, trouble tomorrow, trouble on the horizon, trouble brewing, here comes trouble. Welcome to church this morning. <laughs> Can you see why I was so happy to be here? I just love to let you know, life sucks and you're in it. Aren't you glad it doesn't stop there? You'll have, trouble, you'll have tribulation in this world. You'll have trouble. But be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Jesus says, I'm going to give you this promise. That as bad as it gets, we still win.
And he gives us this promise. My spirit will be with you. You will be sealed in my spirit. My spirit will live in you. And because of my living spirit in you, I will walk with you all the way through these things. That nothing, nothing can come upon you that I won't walk through it with you. And on the other end of that, on the other side of that journey that you have, there's victory. I'm going to create this thing called the church. And for 2,000 years, you will gather with other people so that whatever you face in life, you wrap your arms around one another and you go through it like brothers and sisters. You're a family. You're the body of Christ. And I promise you that no matter what you face, I've overcome it. Not I might overcome it, not I will overcome it, not I'm going to come back to overcome it. I have overcome it. The victory is yours. Hang in there. Hang on with all that. Because there's, there's hope. I think if, if we're to live a life of, of, of health, healthy emotional and spiritual life with joy and peace and hope, we've got to get our minds around that scripture that we'll have tribulation, but he's overcome it. Now the revelator, John, in the book of, of Revelation, the sixth chapter, introduces us to the four horsemen the four horses and the riders of the apocalypse. So next week, somebody's going to talk about that, but this... I, no, if, you've been, if, you're, if you're like really old, even older than me, you, go, you hearken back to the Notre Dame backfield of football. They were the four horsemen. Maybe if you're not quite as old, you hearken to um, wrestling, WrestleMania, there's some horse riders there of the apocalypse. Or maybe I just know Western with old squinty eyes, you know. We're not, we don't really know what the horsemen are, but we are fairly familiar in our culture. Let me give you a quick rundown of them. Because the four horsemen are, are the major players in, in all the suffering and all the pain and death of humankind. And, and John is like, rolling back this veil for us to see this because in his context, the first five chapters of Revelation has been who Jesus is and the might and the power of Jesus and, and how great Jesus is. And, and we're introducing the fifth chapter, which we're going to talk about next week, to this scroll that basically has the meaning of life. It's what it, what's it all about. It's, it's what God, when he created, intended for the world, what his purposes are and when when it's all said and done, he comes back and heaven invades earth and he sets everything straight again and he redeems the world and there's no more tears, no more sorrow, no more suffering. And we'll go, ah, oh, that's what it is. This scroll contains it all. And if we could just open the scroll and understand it, we'll understand the meaning of life and, and who God is and what it's all about. And we'll, we'll, we'll go, ah, oh, okay, that makes sense. The problem is, John says, no one can open the scroll. No one in heaven and earth anyway. Angels, principalities, and no, no smart, wise people can open. No one can understand it. And it's so, it's, it's so taken up with John that he weeps. He starts crying because no one, how, how are we ever going to figure out what's going on? How are we ever going to figure out what in the Sam Hill is going on? Because no one can look into what, what the wisdom of this scroll is all about. And then one of the angels says, wait, hey, wait a minute, John, don't cry. There is someone, the line of Judah. You know him as the lamb, but you'll know him as the lion of Judah. 
And Jesus is introduced and he opens the scroll and he starts to go through these seals. And in the seals that he starts to unveil, there are the four horses, which are in your journal, which is free, by the way, the, uh, the notes for today. Four horsemen. Here's the first horse, a white horse. It's in verse 2. Rather than read through that, that chapter, I'm going to let you do that on your own. I think what's interesting is in Revelation, usually everything that's in there is alluded to earlier in the Bible somewhere. And in the 24th chapter of Matthew, Jesus is speaking, and it's almost a mirror image of what's going on in the 6th chapter of Revelation. The white horse. The white horse is, is, is antichrist, if you will. The white horse, Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 4 and 5, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, and will deceive many. The white horse has a rider on it. The white horse has a crown. The rider has a crown on it and a, and a bow, and it's very close to the to the image of Jesus given in the 19th chapter of Revelation, but it's not quite there. It's kind of an imitation shot of that. It's, it's an imitation Jesus. It's an imagination of Jesus. It's, it's close, but not quite. It's, it's so close that you might follow it, but you're going to be deceived because it's not the same thing. Anything that takes away from the Christ, cross of Christ or adds to the cross of Christ is an imitation of the truth, and it ends up with confusion and it ends up lacking in, in, in the truth. And, and in today's world, the, the antichrist, if you will, outside the church is this. There are many ways to God. There are many, many paths that you can take to salvation. There are, there are many, many opportunities to be able to open up the scroll and go, ah, that's life. I understand it now. There's so many, many. You take your road, I'll take my road. You take your path, I'll take my path. Everybody's got a path. Just believe it. And, and that's the deception of, of, our, of our culture today. Inside the church, it comes in, and, it, and it's, it's questioning really who Jesus is. It's substituting Jesus. Not quite the biblical Jesus, but it's just the Jesus of your imagination. I have a, a friend who wrote a book up in, in the state of Washington called My Imaginary Jesus people that just put him in his in their own terms. And in 1 John 4, 3, John says, but every spirit that does not acknowledge that Jesus is not from God, every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. That is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard is coming and even now is already in the world. Why is this such a big deal? Because, hear this, if you miss Jesus, you miss everything. If you miss Jesus, nothing else matters. If you miss Jesus, you miss everything. That's the white horse. Then there's the red horse. The red horse is war. Who? To guard, Joel. What is the good of war? No, no baby boomers here? Absolutely nothing. Say it again. Hey, more. You will hear, Jesus says in Matthew 24, you will hear wars and rumors of war. Nations will rise up against nations. Here's what I want you to hear. It's violent. It's bloody. This horse, the red rider, is violent, bloody. It's, it's a war horse. 
And what you need to know is basically as humans, we're born with a bent toward war. We're born with a bent of anger and rage. Any of you have any toddlers? Children? Did you have to teach them to do that? I remember years ago, my wife and I were visiting our, our grandkids and kids and grandkids in, in uh, Texas. They were living at that time. And we took our grandson to Chick-fil-A. He wanted to go and play on the slide and that kind of thing. And so we're eating, we're watching him with a bunch of other children. Just a little guy. He slides down the slide and somebody, he stops in the middle to kind of just enjoy life. And somebody comes sliding down the back of it bigger than him, and rams right into him. And our little grandson gets up and just starts to wallop the kid behind him. I mean, double-fisted both ways, just going at it. And I'm, I'm looking at it, and, and Lori, he, she's like aghast. And I know he gets that from her side of the family, and I, I don't know why she's... And, and she runs to try to separate him and make peace and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, where did he get that? And I'm, and I'm sitting there going... That's my grandson. <laughs> He's going places. We have this rage within us, this, this, this warring spirit that we don't even have to wait for nations to rise up against nations. We raise up against one another. We have this, this burning sensation within us. So much so that one of the, the big things nowadays is a rage room. Have you heard of a rage room? Pay some money for like five, ten minutes. They give you a baseball bat and they put all these breakable things in there and you just go in there and just start breaking everything down. Some of you, are, you're not going to hear anything else in the whole sermon you're writing down. Rage room. There's one in Tempe and one in Chandler for you guys that are just doing that one. If I could just get it out of my system, and the problem is it doesn't just get out of your system. It just goes deeper and deeper. It covers up what's really deep, and there's this sadness and loss and, 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 and hurt that's down there, and rage just covers it to the point where we just rage against everyone. And it's so common in our culture that we just expect it. It's nothing new or nothing different. It's nothing weird. It just is what it is. The red rider continues to ride. The black horse is famine. Famine. Famine that, that, uh, that causes poverty and hunger and, and uh, no clean water and it... It's not something that we deal with so much here in America, but it's throughout our, our, our world, it's, it's definitely a part of it. But I, I think it's interesting that when, when John is talking about it, he says a quart of wheat will, will basically cost you a day's wages. A loaf of bread will cost a day's wages. There'll be a lot of oil and a lot of wine, but basic necessities, no. And I, I got to reading and thinking that, you know what? You know what? Isn't that us? We have more than we can possibly think of what we don't need and not nearly enough of what we desperately need. And while our breakfast tables are full and we don't hunger here in America, we have a famine of the soul. Our soul is shrinking because we have what we don't need and not enough of what we do need. And the horse continues to ride. Verse 5, he mentions the black horse. Excuse me. Verse 8, he mentions now the, the pale horse. The pale horse is, in Greek, one of the things I was reading, one of the scholars said, it's kind of a, kind of a, 
a, a, a yellowish green color. Does that sound kind of gross? It looks like a yellowish green. Nobody says, hey, hey, what's your favorite color? Uh, kind of a pale yellowish green is my... I mean, everything about sickness and pestilence, and I, I could really gross you out. I'm not going to do that. Is this color pale? And it's basically... It's death, it's pestilence, it's sickness that leads to death with Hades right on the heels of it. And it's riding, and it's riding. And death seems to always win. It's undefeated, 100%. You continue through that chapter, which you don't have to because your journal doesn't make you, but if you did, you would find out that there's some Religious persecution, persecution of your faith. There's some calamities that come. And it, it starts to end with the very thought like this. What in the world is going on? How do we stand up? How do we stand up against this? We've got the four horsemen. We've got persecution. We've got calamities like crazy. Who will stand? That chapter ends with that question. Who will stand under this? Who in the world can possibly stand? And then the seventh chapter answers it, Jesus says, basically, I stand, and because I stand, my people stand. Even though there's tribulation, I've overcome the world, and you can stand. I will, I will seal you with my spirit. And in that seventh chapter, there's controversial things. There's 144,000, which you try to figure out, is that literal or not? And I'm of the, of the opinion it, it's, it's figurative, it's, it's countless, it's complete number, and I think it's better understood out of the, the ninth and tenth verses of Revelation 7 when John says, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb, and they cried out, cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Who can stand? Jesus says, you can stand. We can stand. We are going to stand through this thing because I have overcome it. Eugene Peterson says this. These people are not only secure, they're exuberant. This is a curious but wholly biblical phenomenon. The most frightening representation of evil, Revelation 6, are set alongside extravagant praise, Revelation 7. Christians sing. They sing in the desert. They sing in the night. They sing in prison. They sing in the storm. Any evil, no matter how fearsome, is exposed as weak and pedantic before such songs. Jesus says, not only will you stand, my people can stand in the midst of this, but not only stand, you can sing in the face of the horse riders. You can sing in the face of tribulation. You can shout over it and sing about it and, and no matter what happens on this earth, here we are with, with people that are hearing about the, the strength of the Roman Empire, but the Roman Empire is gone of pestilence and death and, and, and government law and persecution and yet all that fails. And now it's 2021 and we're living in Phoenix, Arizona, thousands of miles from where this happened and we're singing our songs to the victorious Christ. We're shouting out over our tribulation. We're shouting out over our troubles. 
come what may, we are victorious in Jesus. And every Sunday when we gather, we don't gather just for any old reason. We don't gather just to come to church. We gather to sing the songs of victory, to sing the songs of salvation, and to hear again, we win no matter what. I don't know if you had a chance a few months ago, PBS had a, had a special on the, uh, on the black church. And um, if you get a chance to, you can get, I think you can find it somewhere probably on PBS or Netflix or something. I think it's still out there. It's so encouraging. You, you got these, these people, these, these of our African-American brothers and sisters whose heritage comes through the most hideous time of history of slavery and oppression, defeat, being, being um, treated less than, than human. And yet out of that comes some of the most beautiful and unbelievable songs that still today inform us of our faith. Songs that sing above the tribulation, that shout above the oppression. There's one song they had. I'm, I won't, I'll do you a favor. I won't sing it for you. It goes, I'm going to sing. Oh, I'm going to sing. I'm going to sing. All along the way, oh, I'm going to sing, I'm going to sing, I'm going to sing all along the way. We'll shout over all our sorrows and sing forevermore with Christ and all his army on that celestial shore. We're going to sing, we're going to sing, we're going to sing. I don't want to soft sell to you tribulation. I don't want to soft sell what the future might be. If anything, the tribulation that we experience is going to get more fierce. I, I, I think we can pull that from the scripture. But I don't want to soft sell you the difference Christ makes, has made, will make, and forever make. And we look at these horses and we go, white horse, imitation Jesus. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stand up and I'm going to proclaim Jesus. Christ and Christ alone. Well, our world will hate you. Yeah, well, you better get used to that. Here's all I ask. If they hate you because of Jesus, that's one thing. Don't let them hate you because you're a jerk or you're self-righteous. If the truth of Jesus makes them hate us, that's okay, but it's Christ and Christ alone. You miss Jesus, you miss everything. The red war stallion that comes, we can look for wars and rumors of wars and nations against nations. Here's what I'm concerned. There's war raging in us. And Jesus gives us the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace. If you have that little light coming on your dashboard of your heart, of, of your soul that's just, just enraged, do something about it. Go get some help. Get counseling. Get Jesus in there. He brings, he brings peace. You can just, you can... You don't have to defend him. You don't have to argue for him. You don't have to fight for him. You don't have to be a crusader for him. You just receive it and you, you let the kingdom of peace flow through you. It's a kingdom of peace. It starts in your heart, in your soul, so that that soul that's in famine conditions starts to grow and breathe and, and that there's this word of life, this food of life of Jesus that starts to just exude out of you. And you bring hope to the rest of the culture. 
And even with the, the pale rider death that is a threat to all of us, none of us get out of life without facing that pale rider. Jesus tells us, I've overcome that. I take the sting out of death. I prepare a place for you. When I come back, I've got a place prepared just for you. We're going to close our service and we're going to sing. Maybe we're even going to shout, I don't know. Because no matter what you're facing today, he's the victor. And as our worship team is coming out, here's what I'd like to just leave you with. Do you know who Jesus is in your life? It's easy to stand up and say, we don't like all this antichrist stuff, but here's what, here's what, I'm, here's what I'm worried about more than anything today in our churches. We've accepted this casual, lukewarm faith. That to serve Jesus just means we're consumers. We're spectators. We come to church and we hope to see a show that will make us feel good and then we go on our way and we might be back next week. We might be, and, and that's, that's what it means to follow Jesus. And when when John pulls back the veil and he shows us what ultimate reality is, he's showing to us that there is more than that to follow Jesus, that there is this cosmic spiritual battle going on for your soul and for the soul of your family and for the soul of our people. There's something going on that's bigger than just church. And we've got to recognize we're in a war. We're in a battle. And all Jesus wants is your heart. So as we sing this song and we sing it to our Lord, open your heart to him. After the, the song, there'll be prayer people up here if you'd like to come pray. Here's what I have. Don't, don't leave with Jesus in question in your life. Give him all you have. Lord, we give you our heart, our soul, thanking you for who you are and what you've done in our life. In Jesus' name.